The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, and my esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is on the phone. And Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches. Between Kathy and I, we've helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And we want to help you tune in and tune up your leadership performance for you in the year 2000 as we're getting going. We always have great guests, and we're, Kathy and I are sitting on the edge of our seats because today we have Dr. Noel M. Tishy, the professor of management organization at Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. He is the director of Global Business Partnership. And for over a decade, he ran the Global Leadership Program, a 36-company consortium of Japanese, European, and North American companies who partnered to develop senior executives and conduct action research on globalization in China, India, Russia, uh, and Brazil. And we're really excited to have Noah. We've had him on our show before. He's one of the... uh, founders and creators of the of GE's uh, Leadership Institute, and we want to have him here at the beginning of the year to really make some great comments about kind of the year in, pa- in past around leaders, but also um, what to expect in, in this year coming up. So we thought this would be great. And Noel, thank you very much. We wanted to have you say hi. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really glad you're here. Let me say a word about uh, Kathy. And then we'll um, move on. You know, Kathy, uh, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, coaches leading executives and entire companies on her proven happiness equals profit work-life strategies. She has authored multiple books on the science of happiness, including What Happy Companies Know and her latest number one bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know. She touches millions of lives as a much-in-demand speaker, uh, TV, radio, and media personality. And her consultancy, her company that she founded, H2C, stands for Happy Companies, Happy People. She currently offers friendly tips and tools to be your best at work and at home. And she has a segment on ABC, The Morning Blend. And she also has a new web show called, or TV web show called Your Happiness Now. Her website is www.h2cleadership.com for free downloads and to access your true talents for happiness and job satisfaction. So, Kathy, welcome. Thanks, Relly. You know, I'm very excited to have Noel with us again today to talk about some of the judgments and, let's say, good emotional intelligence and lack thereof in our show today. And before we bring Noel on, I wanted to just uh, lay some foundation for our audience 
Uh, those of you who are new listeners uh, are going to get some information that you can use every day to be your best and to help others around you be your best. And helping me do that is Dr. Relly Nadler. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Nadler, he is a master-level certified executive coach. He's also a psychologist and a corporate leadership and team trainer. Dr. Nadler brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, his consulting and coaching and development programs. Dr. Nadler's newest ranked book is Leading with Emotional Intelligence, which provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers across any industry. And his highly respected work is the focus of countless business journals, blogs, and online news features. And his programs are obviously not only a mainstay for leading Fortune 500 companies, but for many current blogs like psychologytoday.com, where you can visit him, as well as at his truenorthleadership.com address for free downloads to access your from emotional intelligence strategies. So um, let's see, Relly, I guess what I'd like some of our leaders to know, uh, those who are listening to us today, is why leadership development is so important. And... Um, Maybe you can just give us a little background on why in this challenging day and time we're so focused on leadership development. Sure, Kathy. Why don't I go through this and then maybe Noah will get you to kind of comment because these are some general Absolutely. aspects you know, that we're seeing, kind of what we're all in the business of. And, that, and some of the research is showing that 40% of organizations say they will be experiencing a significant gap in the number of skilled or trained leaders available for new opportunities in the next year. So 40% of organizations are saying they don't really have enough good leaders. And, Kathy, what you and I have been talking about, there's a couple of key reasons, and it will be interesting, Noah, to get your comments on, on this, that there's a convergence of these kind of historical events that are all happening at once to, that are leading to this 40% gap. And I think it's a brain drain that we've been calling this, you know, of key leaders. So one of these things is that America has lost 8 million jobs in the last few years because of the Great Recession. So that's number one. Number two, we are just starting with the first baby boomers as of uh, January 1st who are retiring. They're 65. And we're going to have a shortfall of 10 million workers, you know, as the baby boomers start to retire. So that's the number two factor. And then the number three factor is Generation X and Y have been noted to have less uh, emotional intelligence, where the baby boomers have been known to have more emotional intelligence. And, and uh, at least the rationale is for every hour that you're looking at a computer or you're on your phone doing something, you're not interacting with someone. And so that ability to really read cues Understand is your communication working? How is your influence? And being able to modify that uh, is, a, is a huge gap. So those are the kind of three things. And it may be interesting, Noel, to get your uh, input on that as far as, you know, have you seen this gap and, and would you, do, you, do you see kind of more of this gap happening because of these reasons? I, th- I think you've uh, put your finger on it. The, look, I've always felt the, the biggest deficit we have and it, frankly, anywhere in the world is good leadership. And uh, I think the factors you mentioned 
as well as the opening up of the global playing field, say that those who are going to succeed are going to have, those organizations are going to have to have great leadership at all levels. And uh, I, I start with a look back to last year, say what were, what were some of the uh, events that happened that uh, kind of raised the flag of how serious this is. You go back to October 1, 2010, when the Board of Directors announced the appointment of an outside, the, the third outside CEO for Hewlett-Packard. Hmm. Uh, and in less than a decade, and if you recall the story, less than two months before then, Mark Hurd unexpectedly resigned, uh, you know, in the midst of the tabloid elements of the drama, you know, featuring an attractive outside contractor and the alleged filing of irregular expense reports, uh, you know, fueled a media firestorm. But the vast majority of the commentators missed, I think, the more important issue. Yes, there's an issue of proprietary behavior or lack thereof of the CEO's conduct. But the more critical issue is there was no candidates for his job. Mm. And uh, regardless of whether he failed to meet HP's high ethical standards, uh, we're faced HP for the third time. There's no one in the seat ready to take over. And I would argue if you look back at last year, uh, I'll start with CEO failings, but they, you know, if you go back and look at the last two years, think of the major financial institutions where, you know, Stan O'Neill went out at Merrill Lynch, Chuck Prince at City, James Kane at Bear Stearns, uh, Richard Fold at the folding of Lehman, Fred Goodman thrown out at our Royal Bank of Scotland, all lost their jobs because of poor, in, in my terminology, leadership judgment. They weren't able to make the right judgment. Some of them made some personal bad judgments. Uh, the BP uh, firing of the uh, CEO after the tragedy in the Gulf. So I look back at 2010. Boy, we got a lot of examples of failed boards of directors and the incumbent CEOs developing a robust leadership pipeline for successfully leading their organization into the future. Uh, I'd like to come back and talk about this is not just something focused at the top. You have to build a leadership pipeline at all levels of the organization. But I look back at 2010, boy, a lot of bad examples of poor leadership judgment. Now, Noel, is there anything that you can see, broad brush, that these uh, leaders did in general that made it difficult for them to recover from these judgment calls? Well, I think each one's a different case, but I have a very simple framework that says, you know, leaders really only have three important tasks. One is people, who's on the team, off the team. Strategy, what mountain do we climb? And the capacity for dealing with crisis, so people, strategy, crisis. And it kind of goes in that order. If you don't have the right people around you, uh, it's pretty hard to set the strategy of the organization because people are undermining each other and not aligned. And heaven forbid you get into a crisis uh, without the right people and the right strategy, you end up like Merrill Lynch did or like 
Bear Stearns did, uh, or City, or Royal Bank of Scotland. Uh, so I think they they need the whole package of people, strategy, and crisis, and most of them fail at not getting a, a good team around them. And and so maybe just for our listeners, because um, one of your latest books was, was Judgment, mm-hmm. um, how would you define that? And then we can kind of maybe get into uh, some of these key areas. You know, so if, if that's yeah, the, 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 the title of the book actually is one I co-authored with Warren Bennis, who's written probably over 30 books by now, and, and a lot of them in the leadership area. And I've done a number of leadership books. And we got together five or six years ago and started thinking about what don't we know about leadership. And we you know, looked at the literature as a business school professor, and he's a business school professor at USC. There's a tremendous amount of normative Here's how you should make a decision. It ends up as journal articles or textbooks. But then you go talk to a real leader, a CEO, and say, did you follow the six steps that Professor Tishy wrote, wrote about in you know, some article in a uh, journal? Nope, that's not how it happened. You talk to A.G. Laffley, CEO of Procter & Gamble, and say, well, how did you decide to make the Gillette acquisition? Did you follow these six steps? Nope. So we realize that no matter how analytic you get, no matter how much the business school professors tell you to do all the analytics, at the end of the day, big decisions involve judgment. And there's that leap of faith. And so we said, let's go spend a couple years talking to leaders around the world, business, military, the late Wayne Downing, four-star general, ran the special operations forces, healthcare uh, leaders, and and really understand how they make judgments. And that's where we concluded there are really only three that matter, people, strategy, crisis. And, and judgments aren't just you make a snap decision. There's a preparation phase. Do you sense and identify a need for a judgment? And the, the death of Bear Stearns and Lehman, if you look back after the fact, gee, they were asleep at the switch. They didn't see it coming. Uh, you look at uh, you know Michael Dell, whose company was worth twice the market cap of HP, and now much less than half. He didn't see it coming. He didn't see the uh, strength of his competitors. So leaders can make the mistake on uh, not seeing it coming, but then they also can make a mistake in the preparation phase of not framing the issue appropriately. And so you have to frame and name the issue. And in the uh, judgment book, we talk about A.G. Laffley coming into Procter & Gamble. Uh, they fired Dirk Yager after 18 months, his predecessor. The company was in a tailspin, stock down 30%. He becomes CEO. Stock continues to go on. He said to me, that's a hell of a confidence builder when you take over. And then something, uh, you know, one of their biggest businesses, you know, diapers, uh, you know, was like an $8 billion business going south. Well, he didn't frame and name the problem there is we've got to put a study group together and hire consultants. He said, I don't have a good leader in there, so I don't have a prayer of turning the business around without changing the leadership. And he put a 38-year-old female, Deb Henretta, in who was marketing-focused to turn the business around. And he missed, made a mistake in the last step in preparation to make a judgment, 
he didn't mobilize and align the key stakeholders. So he said by 3 in the afternoon after announcing this to the vice chairman and presidents, a revolution happened. The, uh, they were all in his office yelling at him, how could you do this? What does she know about running a business? She's only 38 years old. She's not an engineer. And so he, he did what we call a redo loop. He said, okay, you're right. I didn't get enough input. Come to the management, uh, our meeting room, sit around the conference table tomorrow morning. I want to hear each of you tell me who your candidate is and why in front of each other. And he did that. So he did, I call it a little redo loop to get them aligned. And at the end, he said, look, I heard your input. I think that was a reasonably good candidate, but we're going to go with Deb, and here's why. And then, as a judgment, you don't walk away from the execution. If he had said, good luck, Deb, the good old boys probably would have killed her in one month. Mm. He rode shotgun while she fired her whole top team, helped her through the process. So a leader owns the judgment from preparation, the call, and execution, and judgment's only good if it works out. And so that's kind of the framework we use to look at what is the role of a leader, whether you're at that level or you're manager of a Best Buy store, or you're managing a small team at Google, your job is to make good people strategy crisis judgments. Now, Noel, you touched on some very interesting and exciting points. And I want to just go back to something you said very quickly, and that was the leader, in this case, obviously, a very seasoned leader picked a very young and unexperienced leader, but he stood by her side making sure that she had the troops, as you said, the people piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a focus on the strategy and that you proved that with their help she could, in fact, have the capacity for handling this crisis. So so with that said, this HP situation, this this seemed to be a little different because – you had still good quarterly reports. Right. You had a board who was actually quite happy with the performance of this, um, you know, this this star performer. But it was a personal failing on the part of this individual that cost him his job. Can you talk a little bit about that in detail? Yeah. In the uh, actually in the judgment book, we have a chapter on uh, uh, on ethics, basically. And it says, those who go outside the boundaries, put the book down, we don't want to help you. Uh, Mark heard, you know, ethically went outside the boundaries, game over. You know, and, uh, you know, why he would be dishonest on his uh, expense reports with this woman, we don't know the whole truth, but the reality is here's someone making multi-million dollars a year fudging a few thousand bucks on an expense report. But you can't be a role model for an organization uh, with that. So, I, yeah, he was different. Uh, everything he was doing up to that point, I was I was actually writing about what a good leader he had been turning HP around. Mm-hmm. But it, once you step outside the ethical boundaries, my in, in my point of view and Warren Bennis's, uh, you know, we don't want to help you make better judgments. We want you to get out. <laughs> so, so along with that, uh, no, it is interesting because I think that's probably I mean, we don't want to end with this, but it's an interesting one. Is, is around these moral issues, kind of, kind of the moral judgment, yeah. and you know, and, and you think about what do we read about the most? 
um, those are the ones we end up reading about the most in, in leaders, and it's in that moment or in these key moments that they just make a, a decision and be interested to get your input. They make a decision that's wrong, and then they continue to make the same decision. So they almost kind of validate that, you know, I did it once, so I'll keep, I'll keep doing it. Um, maybe you can kind of you know, shed a little light on kind of first in those sure. moments, making a wrong decision, but then they somehow will rationalize by keep doing it. Well, I, I, I think the only way that anyone can make a good judgment is to have the right foundation underlying what guides the judgment call. Uh-huh. And I have a concept I call teachable point of view, which is every leader uh, needs more than just a point of view. They've got to be able to teach it to their organization. And there are several elements to it. One is what I call the ideas. What's the product, services, distribution channels, customer segments for HP making money? And, you know, that's kind of setting the strategy for the organization. But if you're a leader of an organization, you've got to be the leader on setting the culture. So what are the values that support that strategy, and uh, you know if one of them is integrity, uh, you know marker's gone. But the third element is emotional energy. How do I energize, excite people, align them to buy into, you know thousands and thousands of people to understand the strategy? This is what the mountain we're climbing, and here are the values for playing on this team. And it's that framework, ideas, values, and emotional energy that then under is the foundation, the undergirding of making a judgment. Obviously, if you have a leader that's a hypocrite on the values, you've set yourself up for big tragic downfall like Mark Hurd mm-hmm. and, uh, and all too many other leaders in the leading up to the financial crisis. Uh, so I think you know, having, having strategy and, and bad value system uh, leads to bad judgments in my book. And that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of leaders that made a lot of money, you know, with bad values, but right. I don't want to help them. Well, no, and, and Noel, to your point, sometimes it has nothing to do with money, but everything to do with energy. Yep. And, you know, given we just had this horrible tragedy in Arizona on Saturday, which I'm closely tied to, one, because I live in Tucson, and two, because uh, – the love of my life is uh, part of the sheriff's department who was one of the first on scene to deal with this. Uh, It shared a lot of what was going on there um, after the fact uh, once things were under control. But to your point, the energy of these law enforcement agents and the energy with the private sector were the beautiful formula that helps save lives mm-hmm. and safeguard people, and it has nothing to do with money. This has to do with real value, and that is human human lives. So these these judgment calls that you talk about are so much more valuable than just the money making aspect. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I think I've learned as much about judgment, maybe more from uh, the working with, I work a lot with the Special Operations Forces, mm. and I've had about 140 Navy SEALs and Rangers go through my leadership program, most mid-career officers, and work very closely uh, with Wayne Downing, the four-star, who developed the modern Special Operations Forces, and they right. clearly no, well. yes. are not doing this for the money. <laughs> uh, 
they're risking their lives for us, and uh, and and you know some of them are on six, seven-year, six or seventh tour over the last decade, and they have to have a very clear set of ideas, an incredible value system about taking care of each other, the teamwork, uh, the commitment to the mission, and you talk about the capacity for energizing, just physically energizing themselves and psychologically and worrying about their teams. So, yeah, it is not about making money, absolutely. One of the things that I want to make sure that we tap into while we have you for this little bit of time uh, is any evidence of this emotional intelligence gap that you see that we need to really pay attention to in order for us to help maximize the judgment calls of those young people who are coming into leadership roles in the next two to three years? Well, the comment made earlier about, you know, not enough face time with people, I do worry about uh, people whose social life is on the web or on their iPhone uh, having the emotional intelligence to be good leaders. I don't think they can be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, that's going to be an increasing problem. I don't yet see it. I, I purposely make sure I keep teaching and working with every new MBA class that comes to the University of Michigan. So I get a new group of 28-year-olds every year since I started teaching MBAs at Columbia in 1972. Uh, I I haven't seen a lot of evidence at that age group at that level with that population that their emotional growth is being stunted but I'm worried uh, and I think the uh, it's, it's the generation behind them that's uh, right. uh, most at risk I believe for being able to lead in a co- an increasingly complex world there was a very interesting Financial Times article in the last couple of days I think that maybe the Saturday edition of a, an accomplished uh, Chinese woman who now lives in the United States, who's a concert violinist, and how they raise their kids. And we would, in the U.S., think it was autocratic. They have to practice the violin, not half hour a day, several hours. You know, they have to uh, study. They can't be on the web. And you look at the success they have in you know, in the real world, you begin to wonder, you know, how many of those constraints belong with our own kids. Well, you know, no, I I know our audience wants to hear a lot more, and we're going to take a quick break, so don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News, so continue to tune in and tune up your leadership performance right here. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back leadership development news and we're so glad that you've tuned in to tune up your leadership performance we're talking to professor of management organization at Ross School of Business Dr. Noel Tishy author and 
I want to call mega mind on leadership judgment. No, we will. We were just talking about uh, some of the issues related to uh, generational differences um, in leadership, but let's take it up a notch and talk about your perspective, since you do so much work in this area, on the global competitiveness of our leaders. Yeah, I I think uh, we have a crisis of education in the United States, and if you look at our educational standing globally, we've slipped to about number 39 in the world, and we are increasingly moving into a knowledge economy, and we're really there. So you start to think about how competitive is our workforce against China, India, uh, Brazil, uh, and other parts of the world, and we, you know, and that is going to relate to our standard of living in the long term. So I, I have taken on a huge commitment in my life to work on leadership with educators so we can turn some of the uh, next generation's capacity for competing globally around. And, and there are things, you look global and you find out there are about a million kids in China a year getting engineering degrees, about uh, 700 to 800 million in India, and we get uh, uh, less than 100,000. So they have, it's eight, rather, it's a, a million in China, 800,000 in India, and about 80,000 in the United States. Now, we could say, well, our engineers are that much better. They're not 10 times better. And uh, so I, I've dedicate a lot of time to working on leadership in schools in New York City, uh, charter schools in Dallas, Texas, and on the border of the Rio Grande Valley. And what's amazing is when we have good school leaders, and one example is a guy named Tom Torkelson, 22-year-old kid less than 10 years ago, went to Teach for America, graduated from Georgetown. He now has 15 schools with 10,000 students in the Rio Grande Valley, 100% going to college, 90-plus percent Mexican-American kids. And so I think if we can mobilize ourselves around educating the next generation, and that means good leaders running schools, uh, that is one of the fundamental building blocks for turning the country around. So, so what is Tom and his school, what are they, what are they a couple things that they may be doing differently than other schools aren't? Leadership, leadership, leadership. Tom is uh, now 34, but he's a natural leader, tough love, no nonsense, care about the kids, a very clear teachable point of view on the ideas that are in that fabric of that school, uh, a set of values that value the individual but hold them accountable, no nonsense with bureaucracy. Uh, he's lucky not to have an old-time uh, union to fight with, as we had in New York City. Uh, but it really comes down to just good leadership that's enabled him to make judgments about people, gets a lot of Teach for America young people to come down and get involved with them, uh, set a strategy with a curriculum that is geared to that group there and that they make the milestones, no no gimmies. You know, they earn it. And, uh, you know, he has created just fundamental good leadership in a school system. As you're, you know, talking about the importance of education, as you know, Raleigh and I are starting a whole new program called the Excel Institute uh, 
which is geared towards helping educate leaders uh, who are up and coming as well as those who are in positions. And as you look at the emotional intelligence of the people you are working with on such a global level, is there any one character trait in the area of emotional intelligence that strikes you as just flat, missing, needs extra focus? What's your take on that, Noel? Well, I don't can't identify you know a specific element of emotional intelligence. Uh, I talk I talk about it as a, as the ability to develop emotional energy in yourself and others. Mm-hmm. And uh, some you know the different leaders have different lackings, but at the end of the day, if you as a leader can't find a way to emotionally energize yourself first, you have zero capacity to energize other people. And so you've got to be excited uh, about the direction of your organization. You've got to be excited about making sure that the culture and the values of the organization are instilled in every member. And, you know, I can talk about the deficit of it. I can't identify, in my experience, a pattern that's specific, but you, it falls into some pretty crude buckets. Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, in my book, you really can't be a good leader. Now I'm going to go out on an edge mm-hmm. uh, of a conversation here, which might be going out on a ledge as well. Um, you good. know, this go. is a year. I love it. A year in transition. I won't push you. I promise. Oh, thank you, darling. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, expectations for. Barack Obama in 2011, anything that you can see regarding his judgment calls that you might like to give him a tune-up on? Yeah, I, I, Warren Bennis and I actually wrote a uh, Wall Street Journal editorial uh, before he got the nod comparing uh, Barack Obama uh, to Clinton and uh, whether she would get the nod or he would get the nod, and we, we nodded to him. And then I think what he's got to work on, he's very cerebral, no question about his ideas in my book. Uh, I don't question the value set that he has. Uh, I think he made some decisions about who to surround himself with that made it harder for him to pull a coalition together. And I think he also had missed opportunities to emotionally connect. He was too much the University of Chicago law professor um, and uh, not enough of the emotional energy to tap into and get people aligned with them. So I think the first set of decisions, and it gets back to people strategy crisis, we've got to watch how he resets his cabinet and the key people around him and does he make the right people calls and that will guide then the way he does strategy, and he's going to inevitably face crises. That's part of the job of a leader of any institution, and certainly a president of the United States has got regularly some pretty serious crises to deal with. So I hope the emotional energy side or emotional intelligence side of him is able to grow because we really need that in this you know, difficult time of transition. And the very conflictual, conflicted uh, environment that politics has taken in the United States. 
So when you're c- coaching uh, or teaching some of the MBA folks, you know, let's say around this environment, and you're talking about kind of the, what the global issues, the you know, the kind of the VUCA issues, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. You know, it's kind of when things aren't going smoothly. What what what's the key things that you're finding that successful leaders make the right judgment call, not when things are calm and, and uh, easy, but when it really is challenging? Well, that's, that's where I go back to. If you don't have a sound, fundamental, teachable point of view for the success of your organization, whether it be a small team you know, in a uh, Best Buy store and they've got a thousand of them, then you're not going to be able to make good judgments. And when a crisis hits is when you're really tested. And, right. uh, at whatever level, whether you're a CEO or down at the uh, ground level, and you know, so I, in working with MBAs, I say, look, it's, it's, yeah, you got to learn your finance and accounting, but it's about fundamentally learning about yourself and your capacity for developing other people mm-hmm. as you develop yourself. Now, one of the things I'm, I'm dying to ask you again on this whole note of judgment, you are pretending for the purpose of this conversation. Um, to be standing at the door of the newly appointed CEO at HP, what would you whisper in their ear to help them get a successful foot up on their new year? Well, get out of your office and get with the people. Uh, although Mark Hurd did a fair amount of that. I was actually in some sessions with him, and he's pretty dynamic. But I, I think the at HP, with all the leadership turmoil they have, they've got to start setting themselves on a journey where they are sincere about developing leaders at all levels, developing a leadership pipeline that produces the next generation of leaders. It's a great company, great heritage, great technology, but a very broken leadership pipeline. So if I were the board of directors, I'd say, okay, we're, we're going to hold you, the CEO, and Ray Lane, the chairman, uh, who came in to, I think, add some strength to the leadership at the top, to build a leadership pipeline that will enable CEO succession to happen from within. I believe going outside is a failed leadership pipeline, and that one of your number one responsibilities as a CEO is to prepare your successor. And boards are beginning to take this more and more seriously, but there's still way too many companies that get caught at the last minute not having talent or, you know, they fire a CEO like Mark Hurd and look around and guess what? There's no talent or not the appropriate talent. So my advice, and it's actually the next book I'm working on, is globally looking at how do we build leadership pipelines around the world, whether it be China, India, you know, Ratan Tata, or the folks at Infosys, or the GEs and Boeings of the world, or the, you know, Facebook is, you know, a little little early to be worrying about that, but Apple's a huge question mark. Mm. You know, where's the leadership pipeline there? Now, you know, Steve Jobs claims uh, there's plenty of talent there. I'm not so sure. Well, and we could say the same thing uh, about Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook or 
the guys over at Google, um, because they're so young and they've surrounded themselves with equals, peers. Uh, It's very, very clear to me uh, that within the next five to ten years, given what these guys love to do, which is what happened to our friend Michael Dell, they don't want to be running a company. That's not their sweet spot. So how do they find the right leadership talent to come in and provide that energy, as you said, that emotionally intelligent uh, draw that keeps them successful? No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think there are not a lot of good examples. I mean, I, uh, you know, Larry Ellison brought Mark Hurd in, but, you know, they're both about the same age. So where's the depth there? Uh, it's been a bit of a rotating door at Oracle. Uh, you look at the uh, Microsoft, uh, they're kind of stalled. And, uh, you know, what kind of a leadership pipeline do they have? And then clearly you look at the kids at Facebook and and Google. At least Google has a CEO who's there for adult supervision. But, uh, <laughs> and, and he's had a positive role there. But, right. you know, there's nothing between him and the kids. And okay. uh, they've built... You know, they have tremendous entrepreneurial capacity, but I'm sure I'm not sure there's enough attention to developing the leadership pipeline, and I certainly feel that way about Apple. So, given that, and I think you said boards are are, are now kind of applying some more pressure. Why why are most organizations not doing it? I mean, I, I would think they're getting caught up in all the day to day stuff, but why are they not doing that? I I think it's a variety of reasons. I mean, uh, you know, some. CEOs just can't deal with the fact of their own mortality uh, or that anybody else could be groomed to take over. Uh, the boards haven't held them accountable. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and I think each case is different. You go back to the old IBM when John Akers ultimately got fired and you had to bring in an outsider. Uh, you know, you had, you know, Watson was on the board, Opal, past CEOs, uh, looking over his shoulder. Uh, you know, so I, I think, you know, the CEOs that are unable, for a variety of reasons, either intellectually or emotionally, to take on succession, uh, and there are a couple guidelines I have. Number one, it needs to be a priority. It needs to take a good deal of time. And when you name a new CEO, I am of the school that you get out. You know, A.G. Laffley turned over P&G to Bob McDonald's. He doesn't have an office in P&G headquarters. Jack Welch turns the GE over to Jeff Immelt, gone, out of the building, not on the board. Uh, and I think uh, a lot. if you look at a lot of these companies, you've got the legacy of the last generation looking over the shoulder of the new right. CEO. Yeah, and I think that's been a constant in Apple as well, as you described. Let me take us on a new branch of the equation, if you will, if you can indulge me a little, and that is this military issue with with Stan McChrystal. Can you comment a little bit about that? Both you and I have close ties to the military in uh, in our, you know, sense of purpose and delivering on our work uh, across many venues, and the military has the highest ethics and certainly the highest, I want to say, leadership uh, competency rules. How would something like that happen in your Well, actually, the irony of this is I was on a panel with Stan McChrystal at the Business Council uh, in November after he was fired Mm. 
along with the fired uh, CEO of BP. And this was a close, the business council's closed to all outsiders, so it was a dialogue. And so I got to know Stan. Uh, and and I'm sure he's a great guy. Well, and, and if I look at, uh, you know, what ha- his bad judgment, in my view, was he was doing this interview for Rolling Stones. They apparently, there were weather issues, so they got grounded. And so they were hanging out <laughs> for quite a few hours. Well, one of the things that he should have learned in his role is you're never off the record with journalists. And, you know, there they are hanging out. They're probably, you know, with his guys, informal. And this guy's taking down what he says. So his bad judgment was not recognizing that in his role, in that context, you know, your private feelings and issues should never, ever be shared with a journalist because they're, you know, they're raw meat. And he lost a job for it. And I think we lost a very talented uh, lead military leader. I, I was extraordinarily impressed with him. And, uh, but, he, boy, did he exercise bad judgment. Well, hopefully with any good luck and good sense, we will be able to, you know, have some of these people who have learned their lesson, right, just like Michael Vick is learning his lesson on the Philadelphia Eagles, that there is room for forgiveness at the top. Yeah, the tragedy the with right the crystal thing, right? is he'll never be in the military again. No, absolutely. I mean, but my, my point in sharing that is we often see mm-hmm. that great leaders can learn their lessons. And they do rebound in some way, hopefully, even if they're lesson providers and educators. Agreed. And, and all do you see that in, with Stan? And then you also mentioned the BP guy. Yeah, I, interesting I, afterwards. You know, what I do. And then there was another general who uh, lost his uh, command about five years ago uh, for, uh, you know, again, you know, the, having worked a lot with the military, you know, their their rules are pretty clear. And uh, even though he was in the process of getting divorced, uh, he had an affair and he lost and he retired. He's now president of a university. Oh, wow. And, you know, uh, but, you know, I don't know where Stan McChrystal will end up, but I think he's a terrific leader. And, uh, you know, I also think uh, having spent time with the, CEO of uh, BP who lost his job, that he will learn from this. I, I I think he was a sincere guy, way out of his element on U.S. press and U.S. politics. And you uh-huh. certainly don't talk about going off sailing on your vacation, you know, while, with a tragedy right. going on. Uh, but he, he was not a bad guy, but I think he'll rebound. Yeah, and I think to your point, which you said so beautifully, Noel, and that, you know, Raleigh and I certainly would agree with, is often the lessons that we learn from leaders who have a misstep Mm -hmm. become really noteworthy settings for education and practices that we, as I want to say developers of leadership programs, can help others understand so that we don't vilify these people. And we recognize that they, too, are human, but leaders have to rise above the human condition under extraordinary circumstances. Well, the best leaders I've ever worked with, and I remember, you know, Jack Welch, when I, I ran G's Crotonville for him, would t- 
talk about, look, you can make a mistake. You own up to it, and you just never make that mistake again. If you're a learner, and if you're a leader, if you're a leader and you've never made a mistake, I'm really worried. You know, no, nobody bats a thousand on judgments. You know, what Welch used to say when I t- took over as CEO of GE, I probably was batting 300 to 400 on selection of leaders, and I feel when I retired, I was all the way up to 70, 700, and still making mistakes. And you know, so what I look at are leaders learning, and of course you're going to make if you're taking making risky judgments, none of them are going to work out. Well said. Well, I think it's that learning piece, like you're saying, for the BPE and anyway, leader. What would I do differently, and then sure. and then be able to move on? Exactly. So, and, you know, one example, by the way, from uh, my experience, I was working with Jack Nasser at Ford when the Firestone crisis with the Explorers tipping over uh, happened, and he ultimately, as he was working on that crisis, got thrown under the bus by some of his own senior leaders, and Bill Ford fired him. He's gone on to be a very successful businessman, now he's chairman of BP, and uh, has rebounded very well, and he learned a lot from that. And so I, I think there's ample opportunity for those who are good leaders to you know, right. take some pretty tough falls and learn from it. I think one of the things that Kathy and I talk about a lot is leaders underestimate how much influence they have, and I think just you're, what you're alluding to now that you know, you're always, the spotlight's always on you. And, that's, and so you can't say, oh, now I'm off camera or the light's off, now I can be someone different. And, and sometimes I think people just don't realize they got that much influence. When you're at the level we're talking like Stan McChrystal, you're on 24-7, whether you like it or not. It comes with the territory. Right. And uh, there's, yeah, no, there's no off the record, you know, let's go have a beer with the Rolling Stones journalist. Uh, that yeah, unless you want to pay the consequence. Yeah. Well, speaking of what's going to have a beer, we're getting close to the end of our show, and I want to make sure that we leave some room here for people who want to reach out to you and learn more from you, Noah. How can they best do that? Uh, they, I have a website, noeltishy.com, and invite them to join me there. And uh, I also can be reached uh, on my uh, email just Tishy, T-I-C-H-Y, at umich.edu, and I'd be delighted to enter in dialogue. Yeah, and I have to say to our audience, you are one of the most touchable, reachable, uh, and uh, accessible gurus uh, in this business, and you have been a tremendous mentor to me, and I owe a lot to you, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Anything you want to leave our listeners with, as we begin to close out, that you might not have had a chance to uh, to share. I just want to underscore: it's all about education of the next generation. Let's let's do what's right for our kids and grandkids, and and help fix the schools in the United States would be my number one message to folks. That's great, Noah. That's a, that's a great sentiment, and it's probably our best. Uh, focus on for the future is all those folks and how do we make them better exactly and thank you for the opportunity of sharing with you and your listenership oh we we love having you we look forward to checking in with you throughout the year and getting more insights from you at both uh programs where you're appearing locally and globally and 
uh, as we close out, just let me say to our listeners that um, we're very fortunate to have you, and I believe that uh, you have a regular, um, is it a blog or an article? Uh, blog, you know, on, I'm actually starting one with the Harvard Publishing Group, so mm-hmm. that, that will be coming out soon. Perfect. So we'll let our listeners know where to reach you there. And, um, again, from my heart, thank you so much. And I make a personal commitment to you and the future of our education system for leaders. If there's anything that we can do to support you, please don't hesitate to call. I will do it in friendship without hesitation. Well, thank you so much, and I will take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So for our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And we hope you continue to tune in to tune up your leadership performance right here every week on Leadership Development News. Take good care. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.